jump. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No problem. I can just feel the edit getting longer yeah. by the minute. <laughs> Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate-gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And each week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. Yay. Maybe it'll work this time? (laughs) Third time's the charm, right? Yes. Yay. (sighs) I don't know why it randomly wasn't recording. I might have hit a wrong button. I was using it. Apparently I accidentally launched it in... Microsoft Edge by mistake, oh. which I never do. I use Chrome, so Same-sies. maybe that's part of the issue with why it just didn't record stuff. Thankfully, we realized it early. Yes, that would have been very sad if we had gotten far into an episode. <laughs> yes, but I'm annoyed that I didn't get to record your angry rant into the microphone <laughs> about your non-permanent space. My non-permanent space full of now two monitors and it's not that good this time (laughs) yeah but that's okay today is my first day only using one monitor instead of two because yeah the tiny recording box that i had at the apartment i could not fit the computer or the monitor in there so Ah. (laughs) i had an arm like the arm on the monitor over there was posable so like i could move the monitor so that i could see it from in the box but i couldn't move it to a convenient place in front of me so yeah i always used my laptop for notes and kept the other monitor off to the side yeah it's not exciting super convenient (laughs) yeah it's not but that is okay i only just today even thought i was like you know what this is a wide screen and i could just put everything (laughs) on here and that will be good yeah one day i'll get there indeed you can just buy a whole new laptop (laughs) that's an expensive way to go i hope i'm not too echoey today because i have cleaned this room a bit so it is not as piled full of stuff as last time i still need to get a partition up in here but i have not had the time for that because i've been preparing to go back to school yeah and also moving yeah (laughs) yeah as far as i can hear you sound good but also i never know how good my headphones actually pick up anything so fair fair yeah so today was the first day of semester at the place i work Mm. so times it was oh yeah it was for us too i guess (laughs) yeah our classes don't start until monday but this was i guess our official start of well it's the it's the start of when i am supposed to go back to work ah okay (laughs) (laughs) i did do actual work i don't have to be there in person though i do actually have permission professional development tomorrow which will be fun oh and by fun i mean very boring <laughs> and it, i have to be there at 8 30 oh no and i've gotten so spoiled because after many years of having to go to work at like 7 a.m or 6 a.m or 5 30 a.m <laughs> i've gotten really used to not having to be anywhere until 10 30 this last yeah. semester how long are you there tomorrow until 2 30 something uh, i was gonna see if our schedules aligned and then we could go have a beer but oh i'm not out till 4 30 yeah that would have been fun <laughs> also we're going to jeff's parents for dinner ah uh, we'll have to meet up on a monday or something yeah i kind of have to hang around anyway although probably most days i'll just go home and come back but yeah yeah but yeah but we can hang out on some mondays because orchestra rehearsals are 
literally four minutes from you. Yay. It's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. That's all that's going on here. I, I was trying to think, do I have anything else going on? Not really. I lost my car keys. They're somewhere in the house. I don't know where. I had them yesterday to open my trunk. Uh-huh. But then I don't know what happened after that. I didn't put them in the trunk. I'm fairly certain about that. Oh, hopefully not. But I also haven't tried very hard to look for them because I didn't notice they were missing until I was trying to leave for work this morning. So I just took my brother's. I like that I can't lock my keys in my car. It's good. Or my trunk for that matter. I don't actually have a trunk because I have it. Not really an SUV. Smaller crossover type vehicle. The newer technology doesn't allow you to lock your keys in your car, which is good for people like me. <laughs> yeah. Good for me, too. Do you remember how often I used to lock my keys in my car? I sure when do. I was younger. <laughs> yeah, I do. I used to lock mine. So I had a Ford Probe as my first car. And I realized at one point that when I locked my keys in my car, I could use a steak knife to pop the lock on the door. <laughs> so that was pretty convenient. Perfect. Very not secure, but... For a person that, again, used to lock their keys in the car all the time, often at home, it was convenient. Yeah. Yeah. I did not figure that out, so it's a good thing I always had AAA. Yeah. (laughs) One time I was doing an internship, I parked my car in the same spot two days in a row and locked my car keys in the car both days. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Well, I wasn't there, but I remember you telling me about that. (laughs) I was really glad it wasn't the same person to come unlock it <laughs> yeah that would have been embarrassing <laughs> that would have been quite embarrassing it's still like, but funny oh, yeah good thing the weather wasn't terrible i think that was summertime yeah so weather was terrible but not in the way that but, yeah yeah not in the way that you think yeah not rain or ice or snow yeah you know where i bet has no car keys for you to lock inside of it where's that I'd- transporter cargo transporter jacob's cargo transporter (laughs) i got there yay (laughs) which is featured prominently in this episode it sure is what are we talking about today today we are talking about stargate sg1 season 5 episode 17 armageddon (laughs) or fail safe if you will no it was totally armageddon (laughs) Mostly, with yeah. a little smattering of that other movie that no one remembers that came out at the same time as Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Although it did have, um, shit, why am I not remembering his name? Morgan Freeman. It did have yes. Morgan Freeman as the president That's and Elijah true. Wood was in it, though. So there was that. <laughs> the episode starts pretty similar to Armageddon. <laughs> there's an amateur scientist guy upset because he's just figured out that there's an asteroid coming that's going to hit Earth. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and he had a dachshund. He did. Was it a dachshund? I don't know. It looked it, hot dog. I thought it was like a hound dog. Okay. That might, some sort. That but makes yeah, more it, sense. You know more about yeah. dogs than I do. I think it might have been a beagle or some other kind of hound. But it was very cute. And it was long. So I don't think it was just... This says that it's a beagle, but I don't think it was. I think it was like a basset hound or something. <laughs> it was very cute. And so, of course, I noticed it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so that is one thing it had going for it that Armageddon did not because that guy did not have a dog with him when he was doing his amateur astronomy. And that's where he went wrong in life. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So whoever he's talking to, we don't actually know. They think that he is just talking out of his ass and he's like, but 
I'm the head of the Northern Susquehanna County Amateur Astronomy Society. And that's supposed to be impressive. And then a bunch of black SUVs drive up. And he hangs up the phone. <laughs> and that's that scene. He got somebody's attention. He did. The person on the phone didn't care, but someone <laughs> listening in certainly did. Hell yeah. They're listening. Always. Always listening. Yep. Never not listening. <laughs> we find out immediately what this is all about. Because Sam is talking to SG-1 and Hammond about it. It's a big-ass meteor asteroid. There we go. It's a big-ass <laughs> asteroid. She says 137 kilometers, which is about 85 miles. I looked up. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't can't do conversions in my head. That's yeah. so big. That is quite large. <sighs> Jack immediately makes a reference to Armageddon. So we're lampshading this whole episode right here. Yep. I appreciated that they were at least being that transparent about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam says that this asteroid is headed toward the Arctic Circle. Daniel wants to know how nobody but them knows about this. Apparently there's one guy, the man with his dog, who does know about it, but he was, quote, persuaded to keep quiet about it, whatever that means. How much money do you think they gave him? I don't know. Did they just threaten him with, like, jail time? Did they let him name it? They never talk about a name for the asteroid. They so don't. the guy in Armageddon got to name it after his bitch of a wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to name her Dottie after my wife. She's a vicious, life-sucking bitch from which there is no escape. That's, that's sweet, Carl. She says it's basically a fluke that anybody caught this. So good thing they're lucky guess so yeah and sam says the reason that they're kind of lucky is now that they've got the stargate working for them and all this stuff they've learned they might be able to do something about this so the gate is finally going to pay off by giving them a way to save the planet rather than just <laughs> giving humans yet another way to destroy the planet i guess so <laughs> Woo! jack suggests perhaps some allies and Teal'c's like, yes, perhaps the Tok'ra, but they are still on the run after their base just got attacked in the last episode. Are there any left? And that kind of seems to answer our question as to, I guess there's at least some left, but it also yeah. kind of seems to answer our question as to, is this their only base? Apparently, maybe. Yes. <laughs> They're out. Yeah. So maybe the Asgard. Teal'c points out, though, that they still have that pesky treaty with the gold that they can't avert a natural disaster. Avert, that's, yeah, prevent. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Jack's like, but remember when the gold tried to use the Toland against us? Screw the treaty, which is always a good thing you want to hear from people who are supposed to be your diplomats. Right? But <laughs> since that episode, haven't we learned that Tanith, who was like heading up that whole operation, was actually acting on behalf of Anubis anyway, and that the treaty doesn't apply to Anubis, uh, as they were just talking about in the previous episode, because oh, oh. he wasn't a system lord yet, which makes the entire plot of that episode and the death of all the Tolan completely pointless, since the premise was that the Tolan are sending the bomb because of that loophole. <laughs> I'm so glad I have... All of these things stuck in my mind. Yeah. But if anyone asks, where's your wallet, as happened earlier today, because I needed my insurance card, <laughs> or like any questions about 
half the stuff I learned in grad school. I have no recollection for any of that crap, but <laughs> apparently Stargate useless facts. Yeah, yeah. All they're all in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're gonna go try to talk to the Asgard, and they only have eleven days and sixteen hours until all life on Earth may be wiped out. Yeah. Not so not all life. Come on here. That's hyperbole, Sam. The cockroaches would still be alive in the microbes. <laughs> it's an 85-mile-wide asteroid. <laughs> There'd still be tardigrades. <laughs> the important life right, right. around the water bears. Come on, they're adorable. <laughs> <laughs> True. Then we're suddenly, after the credits, in the Asgard conference chamber. Somehow we're supposed to know this is Frere? Maybe it's not Frere. I don't know. This credits it as being Frere. So we'll go sure. with that. Yeah. Anyway, they've obviously just turned him down. We don't see any of the argument. We just hear the Asgard saying that the answer is no, because they don't want to violate the treaty, despite the treaty violations that were already happening with the Asgard Tolan issue, which, again, as I said before, was not actually a violation because of Tanith and Anubis involvement and not System Lord involvement. The Asgard say that if they were going to do any kind of arbitration about Jack's argument about the Gua'uld violating the treaty, that they would need to have representatives from all around, including the Tolan. And Jack's like, yeah, except there's no Tolan left. And Fair's like, yeah, that sucks to be them. And so Jack's like, and I guess if we get hit by that asteroid and we all die, that will also suck. And Fair's like, yep, yeah. That's that scene. It is. And in the next scene, Jack is recounting what he said to (laughs) the Asgard in that scene, which apparently after we leave them, Jack loses his temper. Shocking. Which, yeah, apparently Jack makes a reference to Frere's mother, Daniel says, and I wonder then... Mm. Do they have mothers? I about the Asgard's uh, reproduction. Yeah, at this spoiler, point. but I don't yeah. think that they do. No, I don't think so either. But <laughs> based on what they learn, we learn about them later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hammond is more concerned about what they're going to do now that they have no allies to help them because all of their allies are always useless to them. <laughs> Jack's like, let's nuke it ourselves, so we're back in Armageddon. Hammond does say that they'll discuss Jack's diplomatic shortcomings later. <laughs> do you think they ever do? No. <laughs> no. Me neither. The problem is that they don't have a way currently to get any nukes they have to the asteroid in time to stop it. But Daniel suddenly remembers last episode when he and Jacob crashed onto the Tokra planet that was overrun with Gwold and Jaffa. They decide they're going to try to fix it. Sam thinks maybe with the right team, it would just take a couple of days to do that. Then they're going to fly it back to Earth, which is going to take eight or nine days. So they're not going to have a ton of time once they get back toward Earth to stop this thing. But that's their plan. That's what they're going to try. Hammond's like, let's get going, dismisses everyone, and then... Holds Jack back to tell him that should things go awry, he is ordered to go take command of the Alpha site, which is where they're going to start evacuating people to just in case everybody's going to die. Is that really a good idea? 
given the total lack of diplomacy that he has, <laughs> I would think that whoever is leading the alpha site would need to be really diplomatic with yeah. the the off-world allies. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Javis is on the way, too, just so we know when he just randomly shows up. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't really understand what his role is or why he's so important and always shows up for like emergency control. Oh my god. Can you imagine him and O'Neill trying to command an alpha site together? It would just be <laughs> terrible. It would. But Jack would have seniority, so it's true. Chain of command, he'd be in charge because <laughs> Davis is the same rank as Carter, but they act like he's got a higher rank. I don't really understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's very weird. Anyway, in the gate room, everyone is getting ready. The gate has dialed out. They've got their mouth. And they're heading out to go and try to fetch that cargo ship. The MALP also has the bomb fixed to it because they're not going to be stopping home to pick it up first. They're just going to bring it with them now. It has 1,200 Naquita enhanced megatons on it. <laughs> I guess that's a lot. Daniel <laughs> had the same reaction of, that's a lot. Sam <laughs> says that it's the most powerful warhead ever created and equivalent to 1 billion tons of TT. TTT. Yeah, TNT. I cannot talk today and I haven't even been drinking. So yeah, that's a lot. So who is Spellman? I don't know. Have we seen him? Because apparently he's there and doesn't want to go through the gate. And I don't know who he is. And they were addressing him like we were supposed to know who he is. And I have no idea. Yeah, I didn't know who he was either. Like, I didn't recognize the name. But the guy, I looked him up before. He, he looked familiar. He was in the Feet Shoes episode playing a different oh. character. <laughs> so, anyway... I don't think we know him. I think they're just kind of given it that these are their colleagues' familiar right. feel. Fair enough. This guy is not on one of the SG teams. He's just a random scientist guy who never goes off-world, so he doesn't want to go through the gate because he understands exactly what happens to your body when you go through that thing. And, of course, Jack's like, whatever, just get through the damn gate. And Spoma's <laughs> like, it defies the laws of physics, and you know it. So Jack shoves him through. <laughs> On Ravana, they've made their way to the crashed ship. Do you think they had to walk through a crapload of Jaffa dead? Because who would have cleaned up those bodies? Right? Yeah, had to walk like 30 miles <laughs> to get to the crashed ship and had to walk through a bunch of dead Jaffa and waved at Elliot's dead body. <laughs> yeah. <on her> way. <laughs> Yikes. They head in. Sorry, I have two mice here and it's throwing me off too. Um, not actual mice. <laughs> you know what they say about a man with two mice? <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> no, you're thinking of someone with two knives. I gotta tell you, this is pretty terrific. <laughs> yeah. Two mice, but no pop filter. Only. There's so many plosives <laughs> in this episode. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Sam says they need to prioritize prioritize <laughs> auxiliary power followed by hyperdrive and life support spellman though his priority is he's gotta go potty <laughs> so sam goes to show him the way jack 
and Daniel and Teal'c are there to be like, we're sure this is going to be fine and they're going to fix this up with no problem. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's just fine. Yeah. And we even get a whole montage. Yes. Of that whole thing. <laughs> There's someone looking through magnifying goggles and a monocle at the same time. Oh. And Sam looks at some crystals with a flashlight. There's a guy walking around with a case. And apparently Daniel doesn't know how to read because he's holding his book sideways. <laughs> some other guy is trading crystals with a different guy. And then Jack has a green glowy face. And then the guy with the other case left but then a guy with a new case comes in and Daniel is sleeping and then the crystals start glowing and yay, they're so excited. But then the crystals stop glowing and they look so sad. And then there's soldering and typing happening. <laughs> End of montage. Great job. Thank you. And they still cannot find the thing that they are assuming is there, which is the recall device, which is what almost killed Jack and Teal when they took the death glider out for a spin and it decided to start driving home to Apophis. <laughs> Apparently, this guy, Tech Weber, was at fault for not finding that on the death glider and he says he can't find it here either. Hopefully, he's right that it's not here. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Sam tries to start the engine. It doesn't want to go at first, but eventually she gets it running. And she's going to fix the rest of it as they go. So that seems like a great yeah. plan. Yeah. Without the help of anyone else, because they send the rest of the team away. Yeah. Yeah. They're all going to go through the alpha site. So, you know, why would you want any repair technicians on this ship with you? <laughs> send them away so that it's just SG-1 so that yep. you don't have to pay their salary for the day. There we go. <laughs> they leave. But <laughs> Jackson want to talk to them about that whole recall device that they missed. Sam warns Teal'c to be easy on the engines so that they don't fail <laughs> before they can reach escape velocity, which will result in crashing and then also everyone on Earth dying. It's okay. They're all confident. Yeah. that's <laughs> This is true. They are all confident. <laughs> that is confirmed by Daniel, Jack, and Teal'c. Ooh, what are you drinking? Nothing ex I'm actually drinking Pellegrino. Oh, fancy. Yeah. This one is dark Morello cherry and pomegranate. Ooh. I am drinking counterweight Sunday gravy pilsner. Ooh. You would hate it. Yes. I find it to be delicious. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah. Back on Earth, people are planning their escape, but not... All people, just the random people who know about the Stargate. Major Davis has arrived. He's concerned because they haven't yet heard from SG-1 because he's so negative. Ugh. But then, right? <laughs> conveniently, just as he's complaining about this, Walter's like, it's SG-1 on the phone. <laughs> they put the message through. And Sam is there asking them to respond. They hear her. She hears them. She lets them know they are back in the solar system and they're going to be at the asteroid very shortly. Hammond says they're very happy. They sent the engineers to the Alpha site 10 days ago. What have yeah. they been doing for the last 10 days I, I don't on know. that ship? <laughs> I 
don't know what they've been doing. Do they just play like a lot of cards? Maybe. Board games? Daniel Daniel actually read his book sideways, right side up. backwards, oh. <laughs> forwards, upside down, Fair. every possible way. Hmm. He's trying to figure out, maybe that's his print copy of the Voynich manuscript and he's trying oh. to decipher it. If anyone could decipher the Voynich manuscript, it it's would be Daniel. Daniel. Why hasn't he done this? You would think that he would be all over that. Right? He absolutely could. <laughs> Sam says, they're lucky they've made it this far. And Hammond's like, okay, well, proceed with your Armageddoning. <laughs> Armageddon out of here. Burr, burr, burr. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> flash forward to 39 minutes before our impact so i guess another like day and a half has gone oh, by no i think she's just oh before they impact the plan oh, okay. that they've literally had 10 days on a ship to talk about yeah okay <laughs> yes that is weird that they would wait until 40 minutes 39 minutes before landing on the asteroid to discuss it but yeah. <laughs> yes then they're going to have three and a half hours before they get to that point of no return where if they don't blow up the asteroid before that, the pieces will hit Earth. Just like that point of no return that they talked about in Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to drop off the bomb, but because they don't have oil drillers with them, they need to get down into the deepest of the various craters and fissures that they can find in order to get the bomb into the deepest cave within that fissure that they can find. And they have a little holographic illustration going, showing that this whole time. They're going to ring the melp down, and two of them are going to go out in an EVAs and take it to the end of whatever hallway they manage to find, or tunnel, or whatever, and it's too bad they don't have any toker crystals left, because that would be helpful for right? this. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't even need drills then. Yeah, exactly. Those two people that are going to go and set the melp are then going to set the timer on it, and then hopefully get back. Oh, but by the way, they're also going to be passing through the Leonids while this is happening, so that's inconvenient timing, <laughs> and apparently makes this November. Woo! Yeah. So there's going to be some things hitting them as they go that definitely never happened in armageddon either i mean no, it wasn't the definitely leonids, not. but you know yeah <laughs> they did not specify the leonids but there were for sure issues with them getting hit by stuff <laughs> then the ship groans and that's bad and then tilk all of a sudden is having issues with the sublight engines so that's also bad sam goes to take a look at it she opens a big drawer of crystals and then gets shocked across the room by that big drawer of crystals so that's probably bad yeah yeah on earth Walter is reporting that they're no longer getting any signal from sg1 is that surprising though you would think that they would lose the signal as soon as they got close to the asteroid and go down into a tunnel yeah but apparently maybe they just weren't expecting it to happen that fast although i think I that sam had said they were only minutes away but anyway yeah, yeah. 39 minutes to be exact but you know that could have been any time ago so time passes very quickly on this show up on the ship sam helps jack up after her incident with the crystals teal comes in to report that they've totally lost the sublight engines but then daniel is like hey guys big asteroid problem 
And that is that they are headed straight for it very quickly. Yes. <laughs> and their maneuvering thrusters aren't working. So they're going to seemingly maybe crash into this asteroid. I liked that Daniel was flying the ship and complains about the maneuvering thrusters not working. So Tilk immediately comes over. They switch seats. And then Tilk's like, the maneuvering thrusters are not working. Like, <laughs> Did you really need to switch seats for that? You know, you got to double check Daniel's work. It's true. It's true. You're not wrong. Yeah. In the SGC, they're still tracking the ship, even though they've lost communication with it. And it seems bad because they're approaching that asteroid a little too fast. On the cargo ship, Jack is impatiently telling them, essentially, hit the brakes. Tilk says the thrusters are in full reverse, but that's not slowing them down enough. They're going 90 meters per second and then 80. So they are slowing, but just not slowing as much as they need to. Then we get a view of the cargo ship spinning nose down towards the crater. When they were showing the asteroid before, the asteroid, it, it was hard to tell, but it looked like the asteroid was spinning. I assumed the asteroid was spinning because that's what they do. But no, it was the ship that was spinning. Hmm. Why the hell is the ship spinning? But know. apparently yeah. they're spiraling. Woo! Yeah. Down towards the asteroid. And then it gets dark and Jack asks, what happened? And Sam has to explain to him that they're inside of a deep crater, even though they're all looking out the same viewing window. And he should have been able to see that they were going into a crater. They're continuing to slow down, but still not as slow as they need to be. But then all of a sudden the controls take over and the ship just gently slows down and hovers above the surface. And again, I was wondering why Sam needed to tell everyone else looking at the same window. We've stopped. You know, that is really getting annoying. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? Sure, no problem. <laughs> you know, maybe they're not observant <laughs> this one time. Yeah. At the SGC, Major Davis is telling Hammond that... NASA were able to calculate that SG-1 was going so fast that they probably crashed into the asteroid's surface at over 60 meters per second, and they're probably all dead. That's Oops. fun. Yeah. In case anyone else like me needed the math translated for them on that, that's 134 miles per hour. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And no, I didn't. I could have done it myself, but I took the lazy route and found an online calculator <laughs> instead. Because, like I said, memories of important things like conversion tables, they're not in my brain as readily as <laughs> things about Tanith <laughs> and Tokra politics yeah. and system lord politics, apparently. Yeah. I sort of wondered what the point of the scene was when I was watching it because we already know SG1 survived, but I think that it had to do with their decisions after that, which I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think anyway. it's just because, exactly, Hammond thinks that he's going to die and they're all getting ready for the planet to be destroyed. Yeah. And now it seems more certain. Also, right. did you see Walter's shock face at the end of this scene? No. He I just looked, it. like, so shocked. It was I good. missed it. Sometimes yeah. I'm reading through the transcript. I should just put the closed captions on more often because sometimes I'm like reading through the transcript as it plays and then I miss stuff so I should just start putting the closed captions on again you usually observe more than I do so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm usually good at doing two things at once, but I do miss some things, like apparently Walter's look. On the asteroid, we see that the ship is still hovering. They have no sublight drive. They have no shields. They have no communication. The one thing that apparently is working is potentially the bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And worst case scenario, they can just detonate it from right where they are, which would be less than ideal because it's in the ship with them. Yeah. Yeah. They can get the rings to work, though, so they can get the map down to the surface, even though they are currently 15 feet above the surface, as Daniel says. I think it's five. Which, was it five? Oh, five meters. Sorry. Five meters. Oh, okay. So, yeah, 15 feet. Yes, 15 feet. I'm sorry. 15-ish feet. Yeah, five meters close to 15 feet. Yeah. Which is only important to me because when they show Jack and Teal'c going out in their EV suits later, the ship is on the ground. (laughs) And I wanted to know how and when it managed to land if they ring the bomb down and they're hovering above the ground with no controls. That's a good question. How'd that happen? (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I suppose worth noting is the fact that later, when it is Jack and Teal'c going out, it was going to be Jack and Sam, but apparently she's still suffering some effects from when she got the big shock before. So Jack says that she's going to stay inside. He and Teal'c are going to go set that bomb. Yeah. 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 Take a rest, Sam. You've done a lot. Yeah. She did do a lot. Yeah. At the SGC, Hammond is on the phone with President Bestie, talking about their bad situation where they think SG-1 is possibly dead. They're also talking about whether or not they should bother telling people they're all going to die. And Hammond's opinion is they don't really need to know. I would want to know. I would want to know, too. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I like my job, but not that much. Yeah, no, no, no. Hammond's concerned, though, it's only going to create panic. And what if SG-1 did survive? Then... They might save us all and nobody needs to know about it. So that kind of sucks. Yeah. I liked some of the cinematography choices in this episode. Like before, during the uh, the science montage, they were panning through each scene and then like a black bar would go across the screen to just kind of make it a smooth transition into the next ah. part. And then here, the camera was panning around Hammond as he's having this serious conversation with the president. But what I was thinking is you've got like this really artsy scene and this serious scene of Hammond talking to the president. But we got a really close up look at the receiver of the red phone. And I'm like, I really want to see the handset. It's got to be Mickey Mouse. It just reminded me so much of my Mickey Mouse when I was a kid. And it really kind of took some of the gravity away from the scene for me. Yeah, that would do it. So we're back with Jack and Teal'c, and they do just walk out the airlock, as I mentioned before. So they somehow landed the thing. And then even when we see it in the background behind them, it is, in fact, on the floor of the asteroid, not hovering above it. There's going to be very little gravity out there, although they seem to have a pretty decent amount of gravity caused by their magnetized boots, I guess, is what Sam explains to them. But eh, sure, I'm not convinced by their movement patterns. They should have acted more convincing. Unconvinced. (laughs) Then we get a really oddly long scene of Jack driving the (laughs) mouth through this big, long crevice thing. (laughs) Yeah. It was weird. (laughs) Also, for some reason, it felt like at points multiple times in this episode, the camera was kind of on their butts for 
this and then I was thinking that Space mm. Butts would be a good sequel to Space Balls. <laughs> it's true. It's also a good title for the episode. <laughs> Space Butts. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think of that, but now that I think back, yeah. it's just enough to be like, hmm, we seem to be mm-hmm. focusing a little bit on their butts. Yeah, and it wasn't, they weren't wearing suits that showed off their butts nicely no. either, but it was oddly butt-centric in addition to the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a weird scene. Yeah. 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 Uh, space butts. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I want to go watch Space Balls. Yeah, that would be fun. That's a fun movie. The mm-hmm. bomb also had this, like, glowing ring on the front of it, and it just looked like an eye. Oh, I missed the that. The whole time. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> these are all the things I was paying attention to for some reason. Yep. Butts and glowing eyes. On the ship, Sam's doing some work on her laptop because she's like, hmm, our approach was super fast to the asteroid, faster than it should have been. So she's got to look into something, but she doesn't say what. Jack and Teal could go as far as they can with the mouth. They're just going to leave it there. I wondered if it had made it 800 feet. <laughs> Jack sets... They've never missed a depth, Kathy, so of course it did. Jack sets the timer on the bomb for two hours. And they head back towards the ship. Sam is still thinking about what could have gone wrong to make the asteroid's gravity that much higher than it should be. It doesn't make sense if it is made of nickel and iron like a typical asteroid and then the leonid meteor shower decides to make its appearance i guess it's not a meteor shower because they're still out in space but you know the leonids are there huzzah so everyone kind of has to hunker down where they are jack and tilk stay in their cave sam and daniel just have to hope for the best where they are on the ship and they don't have any shields so they're kind of sol Yep. And then there's impact sounds and then also sounds of venting and they have a hole breach and that sucks. They're having no luck with the shield. So they're continuing to lose atmosphere. They have a scene with Daniel just holding a piece of wire and a flame up to it. And I really didn't know what they were doing until I actually read the transcript. And it says they're watching the smoke trails to figure out where the hull breaches are. Ah. <laughs> but I didn't know that initially because I wasn't actually reading this when I watched that scene. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> Why is he looking like he's trying to fix a thing, but just holding a wire up in the air? <laughs> she just likes to set fires. So yeah, they figure out where the hull breach is. And then there's a few more thumps and they have a few more hull breaches now. So that. Sucks a lot. And then they stop responding to Jack as he tries to radio them. Teal'c points out that the meteor storm seems to have subsided. Again, not really a meteor storm, but whatever. So they're going to go back to the ship and see what's going on. They arrive. They do. Unfortunately, they discover there's no atmosphere in the ship. That was really fast. Yeah. Given that they didn't seem to be getting like sucked up against the walls or anything. Yeah. So the breaches can't have been that big. Well, apparently, whatever. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no atmosphere, however nope. long it took. Them to walk the 20 feet or so from yeah. where they'd been hunkered down. So they make the decision to not take their spacesuits off. I thought, good call, guys. 
But they are going to go inside and check yeah. on things. They don't say they're making that decision, but they just do it. I would hope so, since yeah. there's no atmosphere. <laughs> they look around the cargo ship, which is like two rooms. <laughs> yes, it's not <laughs> very like, large. Ah, there's no one here, and there's whole damage. Then Jack makes his way over to the escape sarcophagus things. Escape. Escape. He starts kicking one, and he hears some pounding back. So he knows that they did not die. They're inside the escape pods, where Daniel now spends half his life. <laughs> At first, I thought they were both in the same one. I was like, how the hell does that, that would work? Because be- that thing was small. <laughs> yeah, that would not but work. But then they say escape pods, plural. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Teal'c has already discovered the breached hull spots, and they're going to start fixing them so they can let their friends out of their little tombs. It's good that these holes in the hull that resulted in the very rapid evacuation of atmosphere from the ship can be readily fixed in, what, like the hour and a half, hour? <laughs> yeah. Less than that that they have. Because the timer was set for two hours, and that was quite a while ago now, but it's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. On Earth, in the SGC, specifically in Hammond's office, Fraser comes in and says that pretty much everyone is gone by now and shouldn't Hammond be as well? She is leaving with the next group, which sounds like it's one of the last groups, and notice that his name is not on the list. And Hammond says, yep, because you need to establish a new human race over there and essentially implies that he's not really fit enough to help in that purpose so he's gonna stay behind she tries to convince him otherwise but he says his decision is final and she says yes sir and leaves do you think they let cassie go with them because she seems real calm about leaving right i would imagine they would have to well i don't imagine they would have to but i would imagine that fraser would not be this calm about leaving if they didn't so i mean she's not from Earth, it would seem to be mean to make her stay here and die with the rest of the Earthlings. <laughs> Thanks for rescuing me, She kind of belongs guys. on a different planet. Yeah. <laughs> we saved you, but then we're just going to leave you here when the planet's destroyed. So, bye. You were meant to blow up anyway, Cassandra. It's just time now. Right. It's just been delayed by five years or so. Or, you know, 15 based on how old you are now versus... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not 15, but she was like a good 11 years older in the last time that we saw her. Anyway. Yeah. However much time has passed, Teal'c and Jack have fixed all the holes and gotten the atmosphere back in the ship. And they released Daniel and Sam from their pods. That must have been pretty quick. Yeah, it was really quick. And he needs to, he wants to get out of there. So he's like, let's go. Time to go. And Sam's like, mm, but I have this thing because I'm Sam. <laughs> Daniel's like, don't look at me. Something to do with gravity. And Sam says that gravity is higher than it should be. And she wants to reconfigure the ship's sensors to figure out what the core of the asteroid is. Jack is not pleased. He's like, we came, we saw, we planted the bomb. We had a little (laughs) fun with a meteor shower. We went home. It's a great story, which is Armageddon. Yep. (laughs) Oh, does this mean Jack and Sam get married at the end? (laughs) I hope so. Yay. (laughs) Or maybe Jack and Teal. I don't know. Uh, yay. Also, yay. (laughs) But anyway. Love weddings. Yeah. (laughs) Jack is not pleased, but he's going to let Sam 
do what she needs to do to figure out what's wrong because she's very smart and he needs to listen to her. Indeed. Sam comes back from doing her Sam stuff and has figured that the entire core of the asteroid is Naquita, which is way more dense than the typical contents of an asteroid. So that's why there is more gravity on this asteroid. So that sucks. Because what that means is that when their bomb explodes, the explosion will be so big that it will burn off the entire Earth's atmosphere (laughs) at the distance that they are currently at. And also they're reaching that point of no return line where if they don't blow up the bomb, then the pieces of the asteroid are going to crash or the whole asteroid is going to crash. Jack's like, this is not in the movie. They don't have any good options here. Maybe the Asgard can intervene, Daniel hopes, but they don't have any way to contact them because they can't radio anywhere. They've already talked about the fact that the Asgard can't intervene when it is an asteroid, but Daniel tries to argue that, well, it's not a natural asteroid anymore, apparently. But again, radio's down, so they got to go try to fix that. Meanwhile, Tilk and Jack are going to go and try to disarm the bomb. Woo. They and their space butts go out there again. (laughs) Sam and Daniel play with the radio, but that's still not working. Jack and Teal reach the bomb, meanwhile. Jack (laughs) punches in the code to stop the bomb, but the timer keeps counting down. Teal points out the bomb has yet to be deactivated. (laughs) Jack says he can see that, Teal. He tries again. Nothing happens. Jack checks in with Sam to double check the code. He puts in the code, she says, which is the same one he was doing. But the problem apparently is that they think that the rocks from McCaven hit the keypad and now he can't put in a code. And they've only got less than three minutes left to figure out how to deactivate the bomb. This timeline totally adds up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a toolbox on the back of the map. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, they were just going to let those tools blow up? I was thinking the same thing. Why would you leave these nice tools on the map with that thing? But apparently it's conveniently so they can disarm the bomb manually. (laughs) Yeah. Sam walks them through the process because she probably... Do you think she built the bomb? She knows enough about the bomb building anyway of the Nakwood bombs. Yeah, I don't know that she built it, but she knows the specs. I'm sure she has the specs memorized, in fact. Although she actually is looking at a schematic later. But uh, she has them open a panel. There's supposed to be some color wire. She says to cut the red one, and Jack's like, they're all yellow. So they're going to have to cut them randomly, hoping they don't cut the wrong one that's going to make the bomb think the timers reach zero and set it off. Is that really the only and best way to figure out which is the right wire? It doesn't seem to make yeah. any sense to me. I mean, it, Can't you trace any of them back to see their origin or insertion point to figure out I which is know. the right one I, or something? It's so weird. I mean, I know you don't have a lot of time, but still. But yeah, randomly like. Yeah. It just seems so crazy. Yeah. But anyway, yes. that's Millions. what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So Jack starts cutting some wires, which Jeff tells me are not real wires because he 
came home during the second half of this episode and said that he's pretty sure that that's just string tim- trimmer. <laughs> <Okay>. String <laughs> that he used <laughs> instead of wire, which... Why? I mean, I believe him, but why? Why would they decide to do that? Wire is not expensive, but whatever. (laughs) That's what the prop guys decided to do. So, okay. Jack makes it through three of the five and has a 50-50 chance of getting it right on this last one. So that sucks. He's going to have to have a word with whoever designed the bomb when they get back, he says. The timer continues to count down to eight seconds. We, of course, get that last minute of Jack. Well, not last minute, I guess. Last eight seconds of Jack is going to cut this wire. Nope, he's going to cut the other wire. And at that last second, when he changed wires, it was the right choice. (laughs) And they do not blow up. Huzzah! (laughs) Woo! At the SGC, they are counting down the few seconds they have left till they hit that fail-safe point where the bomb will no longer be deflectable they haven't heard anything from sg1 and then it passes walter looks so worried poor walter poor walter jack nope that's hammond i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) i mean hammond is pretty much just a mouthpiece for jack except for the occasion that jack is not here and then what does he do he's lost yes the gate has been open for the last group to go through to the alpha site and I guess they were waiting for Hammond to send Walter. Oh. So And Davis, apparently. And, yeah, I assumed Davis was going. Didn't he tell him to both go? Yeah, he says Major yeah. Sergeant take oh, positions. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Hammond is going to stay behind, he tells Major Davis. They accept that. They say goodbye and good luck. What do you think his grandkids are doing? I don't know. I don't suppose he would have gotten permission from them. Probably not. Mm. Maybe that had to do with why he decided to stay behind. Could be. Yikes. On the ship, where they are not dead. Jack asks if they got communication, but no, they still only have the local communications there within the asteroid. They might be able to fix the communications if they pulled some components out of the hyperdrive, but that would take many hours, and they don't have that many hours. They have a few options, as they see it. Option one is give up with trying to save Earth and flee to the nearest unoccupied gate world and then go to the Alpha site. Option two is to take off and hope that once they don't have all this Naquita blocking the ship, that they can radio the Asgard and get the Asgard to intervene. Because again, not an actual natural disaster. It is a fake natural disaster. A phonas, phosaster? (laughs) Phosaster, yes. (laughs) As always, Jack wants an option number three. And of course, there's an option three. (laughs) Not that Sam knows of, but that Daniel comes up with. And they kind of workshop together the fact that the Gua world must have towed the Nakwita here through hyperspace since it is not naturally found on Earth's solar system, which, yeah, asteroids are not necessarily from our solar system directly, like Umamau, but whatever. So they must have towed it here from elsewhere, and that's why it has so much inaquita and blah, blah, blah. They had to take it through hyperspace. They can expand the hyperspace field enough to surround the entire asteroid, and they are going to hyperspace the asteroid and themselves through the planet is option three after all that. Jack is very skeptical, and he (laughs) says, is there a four? (laughs) Do you really want to ride an asteroid through Earth? 
But Sam's like, well, to anybody else, it would just look like we've disappeared from one side and reappeared to the other because they'll be in a hyperspace bubble so they won't actually crash into the planet. But it might cause the engines to explode. Maybe, since the hyperspace envelope would have to be so much bigger than usual. So Sam's going to have to do a bit of Samming to make that work. It's really their only option, though. So she's got to go do that. Good times. But the downside is that they won't be able to take off again after she makes those modifications. Womp womp. And also it would take pretty much all that's left of their life support. (laughs) But that's all. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. We get a scene of Hammond staring at the countdown to asteroid destruction. And then we're back on the ship where Sam would like some more time to do Samming, but she doesn't have any more time. Jack would like her to do this now, but she wants to get the timing exactly right because if she goes too soon, they'll reappear inside the Earth, which probably is a bad thing. I guess. (laughs) I guess. Who knows? I don't know. But they don't want to do that. And I guess they don't have enough power to do any longer of a jump. Yeah. Jack tells her he can see his house. So she says, engaging. Do the ship bloops to the other side of Earth. (laughs) It does bloop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In Hammond's office, he's talking to the president, saying that it looked like the asteroid just disappeared. (laughs) And it could have been the Asgard, but he's pretty sure SG-1 had something to do with it. He has a lot of faith in them, which, I mean, I guess it's not unfounded, but... It's not as unfounded as SG-1's faith in Hammond rescuing them. (laughs) Your overconfidence is your weakness. Your faith in your friends is yours. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. They say that Hammond is going to find them. They are all confident in that. Daniel, Sam, and Teal'c all agree they are confident that Hammond will find them. (laughs) But it's not Hammond that finds them. At least somebody does, though. It's the Tok'ra, though. But somebody from the Tok'ra has picked up their distress signal and Jack being the asshole that he is and having the dislike for the Tok'ra that he has seems a little reluctant to accept their help but he's like eh not that we don't have everything under control here but I guess that's fine and then everyone gives him weird looks and they fade to credits yeah yeah did you like the episode I did like the episode I enjoyed Armageddon, so this was, you know, along that same yeah. line. Sure was. And I enjoyed that there was the twist, though. That they had this, like, third thing they could do to save them when they couldn't actually do the Armageddon ending. Yeah. So I liked that about it, and... I liked how they were all like, yeah, I'm super confident the whole episode, (laughs) but not really, but it was funny. (laughs) So I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was just, it was an enjoyable episode, I thought. And high stakes, but not really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, sure it was. They tried to sell like, oh my God, we're going to the office site. Everybody's going to die. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen. (laughs) But other than that, I liked it. How about you? Yeah, I also enjoyed it. I thought it was a, just a 
silly and weird episode that did so much resemble Armageddon, which also I liked. My only complaint is the lack of Steve Buscemi. I guess I would have another complaint too in that there were no explosions because we never got to see the bomb blow up. That is true. But also no main characters died in the blowing up of that bomb. So I guess there's that. (laughs) Yeah. Overall, fun, enjoyable episode. And I'm excited to see who gets married to Jack. (laughs) what's next besides that wedding surely we'll find out next week yeah what is next next we're watching stargate sg1 season 5 episode 18 the warrior Mm. this says the guauld kaitano former first prime to the late imhotep is now the leader of a powerful jaffa rebellion that doesn't make sense. They must mean Jaffa, not Gwauld. A rebellion against the Gwauld? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, wh- whoever this person is, mm. SG-1 visits Kaitano's stronghold with the aim of securing an alliance. But O'Neill and the team soon learn that this strategic partnership may well come at a hefty price. It might be a ghoul that is actually forming his own rebellion, even though he's a ghoul. But, but they, I'm but it sure. says he's the former first prime to Imhotep. Yeah. So that would be a Jaffa. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, booklet. You're confusing, and we don't have any confusing Netflix descriptions to uh, compare it against. Sigh. I know. And Amazon doesn't have anything any different, do they? I don't know. I didn't look at the descriptions on Amazon, but I can and see if at least I it didn't makes either. more sense. Sure. Let's give it a shot. All right. Let's Why see. Not? This doesn't say specifically who the person is. All this says is Tilkin Braytak, yay Braytak, yay, join forces with a charismatic leader of the Jaffa Rebellion. He's got to be a Jaffa. This booklet is just Bananas Foster, if you will. Indeed. Yeah. Now I want some Bananas Foster. Mmm. Mm. More than regular bananas. It's Bananas Foster. Delicious. Yeah. Anything else? No. As always, thanks for listening. If you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe so that you can get our episodes as soon as they come out every Wednesday. Likes and reviews are very much appreciated to help other people find the show, and word of mouth is great for that as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Mastodon. We are stargazing at mastodon.world. And you can also email us at stargazing at gmail.com. And if you're feeling generous, you can find us at patreon.com slash stargazing to help support the show. I'm Mary. I'm Kathy. And you've been listening to Stargazing The End. The End. You're the worst. <laughs> anyway. Add some K's in there while you're at it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yep. No great. problem. It's what I'm here for. Yeah. To you're make your life more difficult. I know. I know it. <laughs>